She Did It Her Way podcast, episode 106 with Christy Zolke. Welcome to the She Did It Her Way podcast, a collective of interviews with top female entrepreneurs from around the globe who have done it their way. These women are disruptors, savvy, courageous, confident, innovative, decisive, unconventional, and humble. Our ladies have proven business models, have taken risks, and have failed only for success to follow. Join us as they share their stories, behaviors, habits, mindset, thought processes, and what it is like to be a woman who means business. And now, here's your host, Amanda Bolin. Hello, She Did Her Way family, and welcome back to another Tech Talk Thursday on the She Did It Her Way podcast. Thank you guys so much again for tuning in, especially every week. And if you guys have been participating in the She Did It Her Way Instagram challenge, hashtag my way challenge, thank you guys so much for doing that. I like love that, love this community that has formed and getting to know you guys as, as listeners and like Thank you to Megan Wessels and Diane Diaz and Britt Colo and there's so many other fabulous like you guys out there doing that and hashtagging like keep doing that. You can find community and find other listeners who are tuning into the podcast who are just like you and that was the whole reason why Christian and I wanted to do Christian the copy writer uh, wanted to do an Instagram challenge. So thank you guys so much. Okay, so back to. This week's podcast episode, and we are welcoming Christy Zolke, who is a friend of mine. And what I love about Christy's story is she actually worked in corporate America for a handful of years at Procter and Gamble, and it was there at Procter and Gamble that she had she realized this consistent issue and problem that she was having, and then from there she went and validated her idea about what she wanted to create, which is Knowledge Hound, and. From there, because she saw this problem when she was in corporate America, she had taken the steps to position herself in a way that she could take the leap. And now she is getting massive amounts of funding. She just secured $2.7 million. And it's just a really great inspirational story so that if you are in a position or maybe you're in a job and you want to leave, like how to look for problems where you're currently at in your current job. So I'm so excited for you guys to tune in. Coming up next, Christy Zolke, How to Create Solutions. All right. So Christy Zolke, who you are the CEO and co-founder of Knowledge Hound, tell us a little bit about what Knowledge Hound is, and then we'll go back and talk about your journey as an entrepreneur and how you actually got into co-founding a startup. Yeah, you got it. So um, some background on me and Knowledge Hound. So Knowledge Hound is essentially like our clients refer to us as the Google of market research. So when I was in corporate America, um, I experienced a prevalent problem, which was that we would spend millions of dollars in market research. So finding out how our consumers uh, were behaving and their attitudes and their thoughts towards, you know, the topic that we were studying. So, for example, I worked on Gillette. So we were studying a lot about how men shave across the world. (laughs) So sexy. I know, right? So much fun. Well, I also worked on the Always brand. So that even gets even sexier. So (laughs) very, very sexy brand. And uh, so, you know, we would field millions of dollars in market research every year, but we would save it on our hard drive. So we had all this amazing knowledge coming into the organization, but no way to search it or share it across other brands or share it with people who are onboarding to our brands. So I just thought it was really wasteful. And uh, we were wasting millions of dollars every year 
in doing this behavior and then also wasting so much time just looking for the knowledge that we already had. So I left corporate America and started this tech company to solve this problem. So I usually say we're on a mission to cure corporate amnesia for the market research world. Oh my gosh. I love how it said like that. Um, So just to clarify too, what to make sure I understand exactly. So like when you were working at Procter and Gamble and you were trying to find information on Gillette and the behaviors and trends, your team would go out and collect all that information, the research, and then keep it on a hard drive. Right. Right. Exactly. Wow. And then, yeah. Yeah. So, so much knowledge, uh, just kept on places where, you know, it's not searchable and market research comes in a very specific format. So there was a way in which I could kind of figure out how to search it um, and make data points actually searchable rather than using some really sophisticated uh, tools to aggregate information. I actually have figured out a technology where you can go from open text search. So now Gillette can go in and be like, what percent of men shave in the shower? And our analytics engine actually generates that chart on the fly for them. Oh my gosh. Okay. So then with um, Knowledge Hound, is it a platform that like individual companies purchase for their own company? Okay. So it's not as if like Procter and Gamble is sharing their market research with other. No, no, but it's okay. That is really, that's super cool. And you know what I I'm learning, like technology is definitely like changing the way that companies and industries operate, but you would think that an industry like retail would have already had, something such as um, Knowledge Hound, but that's so cool that it was like a problem and then you're like, we're going to solve it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was kind of crazy <laughs> to leave your your corporate job and be so passionate about something to, to leave that stable world and go try to solve it. But um, it's been a really great learning experience for me. Yeah. So talk to us about that transition from when you realized when you were at P&G that, okay, there's a problem. And then did you start talking to people? Did you start doing pitch competitions? Like what was that buildup? And then to like leaving P&G? Yeah. So I, so I'm a little unique in that I, I went to P&G knowing that eventually I wanted to start my own company someday. So it was almost like a bucket list item for me. And it was, that point in time in my life where I was like, all right, I'm either going to leave now or leave when I'm 50. And I would, I never want to look back on life and think like, what if I would have done this or what if I would have tried this? So, uh, I, I think I also just have kind of this high risk, um, mentality as well. And so it wasn't, it wasn't as scary as what I thought, but what I tried to do when I was at PNG was to start a business during the evenings, uh, and, and to kind of have that transition a little bit smoother. And I even wrestled with like, should I go and get my MBA to justify leaving corporate America and and create a business while I was getting my MBA. And what I found out about myself is that I really just couldn't focus on creating a business and, focus on my job at PNG. And it was just more my personality because I can't put in, you know, 80% in a job. Like I have to put in 110%. And so coming home at night was just exhausting uh, to then try to work on a company. And so I, um, I, I chose to just kind of leave cold turkey and go start a business. 
Wow. Okay. So did you do any um, preparation leading up to like, did you financially plan for it? Did you build a budget or anything? Yeah, I financially planned. So I had savings that I knew I could live for about six months on a really low budget without having any income. And um, so I knew, so I had, you know, I'd, I'd saved for that. Um, so I knew that piece of it. Uh, and then, you know, I had significant support from family and friends as well, you know, them just being encouraging and supporting. And, um, and I had run the idea by many people uh, in terms of the business idea, the need, and, you know, how to go about even like building something like this. So there were some plans on, on paper, but I would say I probably didn't have as much as what people would expect that I would have all planned out. (laughs) (laughs) What were some of the very first things that you did? So after you left P and G and it was like day one working at knowledge hound, what, what did you do? Yeah. So, um, so when I left P and G, I actually jumped right into a totally different tech company. And for the first year after P and G, um, actually create a smartphone app that takes pictures of moles on your skin and analyzes their characteristics for skin cancer. And I developed that, launched it, and sold it uh, really fast. And then I started Knowledge Hound. So there was like this year of kind of diving into a totally different tech space um, and then getting going back to my business book of ideas and going, okay, there was this problem that I was solving at P&G that I really felt passionate about and that I wanted to tackle next. Um, but I would say like the first thing, the first like day one at Knowledge Hound was essentially like drawing out what on paper, what this vision was in my head and sitting down with uh, a number of different people and saying like, what, how would this help you? How would this not help you? Um, and then starting to shop it around to developers and designers to get their thoughts to then pick of a, a co-founder or, um, you know, some other folks that could help me along the way. Mm-hmm. When you were in the first six months, so I know you talked about you budgeted uh, yeah. that buffer. Were there, like, do you have any fears about, like, the money's going to run out or, like, how do I continue my runway or, like, did Knowledge Hound go up for a seed investment round or, like, what was that like? Yeah, so we bootstrapped the first year and a half. So it was, it was, it's always like there's always fear of running out of money that like never goes away. It's just at different levels throughout <laughs> the journey, um, and so there. I think that's what drives you though is fear almost drives you throughout the startup process, and um, fear for the first two years for me was running out of money. Um, now fear is now that we raise money now fear is, uh, driven by driving the value of my company and making sure that, you know, I'm delivering on the promises I've made to investors. Um, and then I'm sure there'll be a different fear after our next round of, uh, of, uh, funding. So I think, um, you know, the, but we bootstrapped the first year and a half and I did that by, um, by being able to get some significant sales uh, in the first year and a half with companies that were willing to pilot the tool and pay us money for pilots. 
And so I just went back and pitched like people that I knew that were experiencing the pain point and asked them to take a chance on us. And they did. And, um, and so that really helped us through the first year and a half. And then I went out and raised $1.2 million in seed funding. And that's when we grew from like two people to 11. And then now I just finished up a round of $3 million in funding. And so now we'll double again in size. That is fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. I love it. And you're so humble too. Like we played volleyball and interacted, but you're just so humble about like so many successes. And I think Mm -hmm. that's just... That's wonderful. Oh, um, what was it like the first time? Well, okay, backing up, when you went for your investor the first round, what was sort of the process? I mean, to give people an insight if they're listening yeah. and they've never done getting up in front of investors, like what was the preparation? What did you feel? Were you like scared or were you excited? What was it? Yeah, so I'd say I definitely was more excited. And I, I pr- approached it as going like, okay, this is going to be a learning opportunity. And so the first, I'd say two months was more of me, uh, going to people as a, as more of a mentee than, uh, than looking for money. So I would ask people, you know, I would, I would say, Hey, I'm looking at, I'm considering raising money. I have never done it before. I don't know what the process looks like. I don't even know what a pitch deck looks like. Mm-hmm. Can I grab coffee? Can I buy you a coffee for 30 minutes and pick your brain? And so I did that with a bunch of angel investors in Chicago, some VCs in Chicago, and it just started the conversation. And I got mentorship from them. It was a relaxed conversation. And then usually by the end of the conversation, they would say, I would love to see your pitch when, when you're ready. And so it was like planting these seeds along the way, but I was, I was getting a lot of mentorship out of it. And I think that's really the right way to go because you get so much out of it from an entrepreneur standpoint, but it also is like that soft sell it's that, hey, I'm coming to you, I'm humble, I need, mm-hmm. you know, I'm looking for your advice. And when pe- people love to give advice and they love to feel like they're needed. And so when you come with that approach, they're much more open to talking to you. Mm-hmm. What was the time, um, what's been the most interesting or challenging, best experience of before you worked for a company and now you're like in charge of a company so the role maybe shifted a little bit, or, or maybe maybe not. Is there any massive change between when you were at Procter & Gamble to Knowledge Hound now? Uh, it's just so different. <laughs> it's just like, it's. so I think, I mean, the massive change is just the, the lack of resources and uh, the lack of structure. And also, the, it, at, at P&G, I was in a division called consumer market knowledge, which is a hybrid between marketing and market research. And there, you know, I, my days were all about delivering the voice of the consumer to the decisions that we made. And so I was very focused. I never had to do finance. I never had to do packaging design. I, I never had to think about, you know, our, the TV advertisements, um, except for thinking about what the consumer would think about them. You know, it's very focused. Whereas in a startup, you have to wear every hat. 
every hat. So I've been the first year and a half, I was everything except for develop a developer. So I was client management, I was finance, I was um, marketing, I was sales, I was the um, the doing the fundraising. So I did everything. And so it's you have to be a pretty dynamic person and be willing to to wear so many hats and um, and be the executor, but at the same time be the strategy person, which is really, really hard to do. Mm. What's been your least favorite hat? Uh, well, the one thing that I'm really not good at <laughs> is um, is finance. And so I, I, I'd say that's my least favorite because I'm just really not good at it. Um, and I'm also really impatient with hiring people. I believe the best in people. And you, the minute someone walks through the, my door, I, I want to hire, or I used to want to hire them. I'm like, oh yeah, they can do it, you know, because I just want everyone to succeed. And I've had to learn like that that's not really the right way to hire people. And luckily, I haven't made a bad hire at all. Um, but it's because I've had other people help me hire and interview. Mm-hmm. What uh, what's been your most most like? How have you grown the most? Oh my gosh. I think the, um, I think I've actually grown the most in my leadership style and my leadership style three years ago was a very humble and very, um, I want to say submissive, but that sounds super negative, but it was almost like submissive. It was very collaborative leadership. So I would go into a meeting and I would and I would ask everyone's opinion and then try to get all of us to come to a conclusion in a very, um, in a a manner that was, you know, maybe not like the right direction, but as long as everyone agreed, it was fine. And now I've shifted to much more of a leader that can balance that, that can, uh, get everyone's opinion, but at the same time be a lot more decisive. And, and come with a opinion and a direction and not feel like I'm being uh, bossy. I think there's a lot of females. I think a lot of females struggle with this and it's something that I struggled with, which is going in and, you know, being, you know, maybe too submissive and, but not wanting to be like that brat or, you know, like the, what, kind of the stereotypes that come with strong female leadership. And it's taken me three years to kind of learn how to be more assertive and, and more direct without feeling like I'm, you know, that overpowering female. Sure. Is there something that stands out to you? I know you said it was a, um, a journey of like three years, but if someone's starting out fresh, is there like a piece of advice you would give them to help them find their own leadership management style? I think it's all about practicing it. Like I, I learn by doing. And so it's, it's all about self-reflection. So if, if at the end of the day, when you come home and you realize just things aren't working, it's time to reflect on yourself and that's spending time by yourself and thinking through how you can be better uh, will kind of, will, will definitely pay off, but you have to be, you know, you have to be self-reflective and be willing to change. Absolutely. 
What's been one of your toughest challenges since you started Knowledge Hound to where like you wanted to throw and, and again maybe you've never you haven't experienced this but like you're like oh my gosh I'm to my wits end it's like three in the morning like what the heck am I even doing like what is this worth is it going to fly like just that moment of chaos and doubt um there's been so many of them <laughs> um <laughs> uh, you know I think I think it's really about um for me a lot of frustration has been with getting Fortune 500 companies on board. And it's a, such a no-brainer solution to purchase. But doing an enterprise sale is, it takes these large companies forever. It's so frustrating. And they've got to get everyone and their mother aligned to <laughs> making this decision. And it, they just move so slowly. And it's, to me, it's so obvious. And to them, it's so obvious. And even them, they are like, oh, this is great. This would save us so much money. This would save us so much time. But there's so much bureaucracy and lack of ability to move quickly inside these large large organizations that it becomes extremely frustrating. And large companies will kill, can kill startups because they've got, not only do they make really slow decisions um, but they also have payment terms that are mm. ridiculous, like net 90, they'll pay you. in. Th- so you do the work and they'll pay you in three months and that's ridiculous. And as a startup that will kill you. And so you have to be uh, so patient in a sales process, in financials, and large companies just don't get it. But they want innovation. They say they want innovation, yet they don't want to Don't rock terms. the boat too much. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, they, they don't want to play that way. Like, we want to change, but how do we comfortably move ourselves outside of our comfort zone? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's been, uh, and maybe in, if you can't say the exact client, I completely understand. What's been the quickest sales cycle or the fastest sales cycle that you've worked with with a client so far for Knowledge Hound? Yeah, I think our quickest from like the phone call to close on a, a contract was two months. Um, and oh. and that that's like, that was really fast. And the reason was is because it was the end of their fiscal year and they had money that they needed to spend. Mm, that's always a great place to catch them at. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> like we got to get this off the books. Yep. Um, when, and you said that you were going through pilot. You guys are out of pilot at this at this point. Are yes. You, okay. That is so exciting. Okay, a couple more questions. Um, one of them: What does a typical day look like for you? And does uh, it, do you have any sort of structure? Have you found structure or a routine in the startup world phase? Um, a typical day is there's never a typical day, but I guess the, uh, for me now as the CEO, a typical week, like Mondays I do one-on-ones with pretty much everyone in my company. Um, and that's kind of like our day to regroup. We do also a company stand up on Mondays for 30 minutes just to check in and to, say like, this is what's going on, talk about any roadblocks. And at the end of that, we um, talk, we do appreciations. So we actually take time to appreciate each other and things that we've done for each other 
which I really like a lot. Um, so that's Mondays for me. And then the rest of the week is usually me taking meetings. I'd say my job is to have meetings and those meetings, um, are outside of, outside of the business mostly. And those are meetings to either find top talent to recruit into my company. Um, it's to find investors who are going to come into our round of funding or our next round. Um, or it's to drive sales, our business leads uh, for my sales team. And so that's like my, my weeks are pretty much meetings all the time. Mm-hmm. Do you work a lot of weekends as well? Yes. So that's when I usually get my work done. Like the actual like computer work done is evenings and weekends. Wow. That, yeah, I mad respect for just anyone who's an entrepreneur and out there and, and crushing it. Last question I have is what are you most personally proud of? What is Christy um, proud of Christy for? Uh, wow, that's a tough question. Um, I, uh, I'm typically pretty hard on myself, so I'm not quite uh, – the day that this company is successful, like super successful in my eyes will be the day that I'm proud of what I'm up to. But I think, um, you know, I, I think it's the grit. It's the grind. It's like being able to persevere, persevere through extreme highs and extreme lows and – um, at a time in which there's also, you know, personal stuff in your life that can, you know, be through extreme highs and extreme lows as well. And so I'd say just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm proud of my grit that I've been able to, to not go back to corporate America, uh, for, you know, about, you know, five years now that I've been out and, um, and I don't have any plans to go back soon. So (laughs) Amen, sister. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with me and and share your knowledge and your story with the listeners. I know they're going to love it. I love it. And I'm so excited to see where Knowledge Hound goes. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to share. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope to see you at another CLA event in the future. Yes, absolutely. You will. Sounds good. Yay. Well, enjoy the rest of your week, Christy. Thanks. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Hey, She Did It Her Way listeners, this holiday season, She Did It Her Way is partnering with Benet. Benet was co-founded by Michelle Blue, who was a guest on the She Did It Her Way podcast. And Benet was born in 2013. It's a collection of scarves inspired by the culture where this all began and committed to providing an education to girls in Ghana by sponsoring tuition, book supplies, and the uniforms for the girls to continue their education and fulfill their dreams. So every time you purchase a scarf, you help a girl in Ghana with tuition and education. So from now until Christmas... Benet is offering 15% off to the She Did It Her Way podcast community. All you have to do is when you go to benetscarves.com, apply the code HERWAY at checkout to receive the 15% off. Thanks for tuning in to the She Did It Her Way podcast. Did you like this episode? Head on over to iTunes.com to leave us a rating and a review. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check out shedidithherwaypodcast.com where you can subscribe to our email list so you can receive the inside scoop on our latest episode released each Monday. Now, do us a favor and go make it a great week.